Welcome to another episode of the Religion Law Podcast, where you learn about religious freedom and other religion law-related topics through a short question-and-answer format. I'm your host, Michael Fielding. Let's see how you do on today's quiz. Welcome to Religion Law Quiz number 37, numero 37. All right. Today's religion law quiz is going to dive into the world of evidence. You're going to say to yourself, I'm not an attorney. This doesn't apply. And actually, you're going to find that this particular quiz actually probably of all the quizzes we've had, this particular quiz is going to be one where you most likely have had it apply to you. You probably didn't realize it at the time. So let's dive into it, and then we'll give uh, some real-world examples to see how it, it absolutely applies to you. So the question for today is, uh, do either Missouri and or Kansas have a priest-penitent privilege, and if so, where is it codified? Now, all right, you're going to say, well, I don't live in Missouri or I don't live in Kansas. Fair point. Uh, and so... Uh, if if you don't live in either one of those states, you can just do a Google search and see if your particular state has a priest penitent privilege. But because I live here in the Kansas City metropolitan area on the Missouri side, but uh, obviously I do legal work in Kansas. Uh, that's why we're looking at Missouri and Kansas. So the question is, do either Kansas or Missouri have a priest penitent privilege? And if so, where is it codified? Uh, the answer to is yes to both. Both Missouri and Kansas have it. Missouri, it's codified at uh, Missouri Statute 491.060, subpart 4. Kansas is uh, Kansas Statute 60-429. And then there's also another related statute, Kansas Statute 60-430. So now let's get to um, Kind of the practical application. Actually, I'm not going to read the Kansas statute because it's really long. The Missouri statute is really short, so I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to give a practical application of it. So in Missouri, the the statutory language, and I'll have the specific citation in the show notes, but the statutory language is this, quote, any person practicing as a minister of the gospel, priest, rabbi, or other person, person serving in a similar capacity for any organized religion concerning a communication made to him or her in his or her professional capacity as a spiritual advisor, confessor, counselor, or comforter. And the the lead-in language to that is it says the following person shall be incompetent to testify. And so then you go down to paragraph four, which essentially identifies a priest or a pastor. So in practical terms, what that is saying is that if a priest or a pastor is summoned, excuse me, not summoned, uh, uh, actually would be summoned into court to come testify, and they can say, no, the statute protects me i.e. the pastor or the priest or the rabbi from testifying. So let me give you some real world examples as how this plays out. The whole idea behind the priest penitent privilege is that you want a person who has maybe done some uh, wrongful acts 
to go to their priest, their pastor, their rabbi, uh, you know, whoever their spiritual advisor may be, and essentially consult with them, confess their crimes, confess their sins, that sort of thing. And the idea is that in so doing, hopefully the person is going through this change of heart, this this uh, this change where they're recognizing the wrong that has been done. Now, the law uh, in a similar context, and you have the attorney-client privilege, and the whole idea behind the attorney-client privilege is that you need to have an attorney be able to just freely communicate with the client and vice versa. The client needs to be able to just absolutely kind of open their heart, lay it all out, give all the facts to the attorney so that the attorney can render proper advice. And that's why the attorney-client privilege is just super, super protected under the law because there's this recognition that you need to have this this ability to consult with an attorney to get the legal advice, so on and so forth. Well, it's the same or a similar concept with respect to the priest penitent privilege. There's this recognition that you want people or that, that people have the need to really come and talk with their priest, their pastor, their bishop, their rabbi, whomever it may be, and really open up their heart and put it all out there on the line so that the the ecclesiastical leader can help the person. And what the law says is when that occurs, when it's just solely in this you know, kind of this one-on-one situation, similar to an attorney-client communication where it's one-on-one, the the ecclesiastical leader cannot be called into court and be forced to testify as to what happened. Now, let me give you a very memorable example for how you can realize how this priest penitent privilege plays out. So about I think it was in 2018, I don't know, around that vicinity, I gave a, a co-presentation for the University of Missouri, Kansas City's uh, annual Law and Religious Freedom Conference. And at that conference, the person that I was co-presenting had previously served as a an ecclesiastical leader in his church. And that person recounted a story, uh, or not a story, it was something that actually happened to him, where an individual came to him in private and uh, confessed that, that this individual had been abusing his kids. And I, I always will remember my co-presenter's reaction. He said, the first thing I, I, I said or thought when I heard this was, oh, boy, this is, this is absolutely terrible. What do I need to do? He realized that this communication is a privileged communication. But at the same time, what this ecclesiastical leader did is he encouraged the person that he needed to go to the authorities and admit to the crime, confess to the crime uh, as part of this repentance process, this change. And that's actually exactly what happened. This ecclesiastical leader, as he recounted to everyone, he went with this man. They went to the police station together where the person went and uh confess to the police the, the wrongs that he had done. I think that's a great example of how you want the priest penitent privilege working. You want to have a situation where the person feels safe in going to their ecclesiastical leader to admit the wrongs that they've done, confess the wrongs that they've done, 
get counsel about what needs to be done. And then the ecclesiastical leader can assist that person as they start this repentance process of changing. Uh, so very memorable. Now, let's give a slight twist on this so you uh, can see how this further plays out. Now, let's uh, again, we're, in, we're going to keep this context in the state of Missouri. So let's change the facts a little bit here. Let's assume that this individual and I'm making this up. This as far as I know, this never happened, but let's, we're just assuming that it did. Let's assume that this individual who's been this child abuser uh, goes in a, a small setting and there's the ecclesiastical leader there, plus maybe another member of the congregation who's maybe a longtime friend. And the individual, the abuser, in confidence then tells his friend and the ecclesiastical leader at the same time, uh, you know, I've, I've done some wrong, I've committed some horrible things, and he confesses to the child abuse that has been happening. The question then is, does the, is the communication protected by this priest penitent privilege? And the answer is going to be no. And the reason is because the friend that was there uh, wasn't in, in any sort of special relationship. And then you have, uh, under Missouri law, as I understand it, there is this mandatory reporting requirement that if you uh, are aware of abuse that happened and you're not in one of these kind of exempted or protected classes, you have an obligation to actually come forward and report the abuse to the police. So in that uh, hypothetical situation, if the uh, abuser confesses to the friend, and the ecclesiastical leader at the same time, there's no priest penitent privilege there because the presence of the friend means that there's no applicable privilege. And then the friend on top of that, because you have the mandatory reporting, then needs to go to the uh, law enforcement authorities and report what has happened. Uh, and it's, I mean, it's the same concept if you have the attorney client privilege, right? If, if you have an attorney, and the client, it's protected. But if you have a third party that's listening in, then you're not going to have the communication being privileged. OK, so that's your primer for today. Uh, you can see how the priest penitent privilege uh, is really applicable. If you've ever consulted with your, you, you know, your bishop, your priest, your rabbi, uh, your bishop, your ecclesiastical leader, whomever it may be, you can see that your communication, this one-on-one -on -one communication, would be protected by the priest penitent privilege, provided that your state has adopted it. But then obviously, if, if the communication is involving other people, uh, then you're not going to have that protection. All right, well, that does it for today. Today's, uh, it's been a little bit longer than usual for these uh, podcasts, but hopefully you have found this helpful. I will see you again on the next Religion Law Quiz. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Remember, Religion Law Quizzes are for educational purposes only and are not intended to be relied upon as legal advice. If you have found this episode to be helpful, please share it and leave a review. Until we meet again, keep being an influence for good.